You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Uh, I want to say a special welcome to Maxwell House. I want to give a shout out to Buddha and Loretta and Al and Veronica and Chris and just uh, so many. Um, Nancy, y'all, I've, I've been getting to spend a lot of time down there this semester, and it's just fun. It's just fun. I've told Veronica that I am going to one day lead a staff the way she leads uh, Maxwell House because she is just tons of fun and, and keeps it light and exciting. Um, okay, guys, if you have made it to your high school years or college years, you know what it's like to have dreams, right? You know what it's like that to want to pursue a particular profession, if you're a nerd, you want to be a scientist or a doctor. If you're a jock, which I was never much of one, you want to be a professional baseball player, a basketball player, an athlete of some type. Maybe you want to marry a certain person. Maybe you want to have a certain number of kids. But if you've lived to your late 20s or early 30s, <clears throat> you've lived long enough to have those dreams go up in smoke. Amen? Yeah. Right? Okay. <laughs> It's an encouraging word, isn't it? So um, if you've lived that long, you've come to recognize that life is difficult and that things often do not work out the way you planned. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And so today I want to talk about the loss of dreams. And I want to talk about um, really how dreams form, why we dream, why they tend to need course correction, and how God's dreams can become our dreams. Because the invitation today is to root your gifts in God's dreams as opposed to having your dreams uh, rooted simply in your gifts. Okay, So we want to root our gifts in God's dreams rather than rooting uh, our dreams simply in our own gifts. Because uh, Scripture is going to tell us today that God makes everything beautiful in His time. Um, if you're with us today and you don't have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you one. But we say the best way to engage a message at Mosaic is with the Scripture, something to write with and something to write on. Open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're looking for Ecclesiastes, just kind of open the Bible to the middle. You'll find Psalms, hang a right, and it's Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 3 and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Solomon writes, What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. To each of them, excuse me, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Notice Solomon makes a very curious statement. He says that God has set eternity in the human heart. 
sounds poetic, but what does it actually mean? What does it mean for God to set eternity in the human heart? I call this the echo of Eden. In Genesis 1, we read that mankind is uh, made in the image of God, meaning that we were made to be like God in relationship to the world around us. We were made to rule over the, the earth, over the animal kingdom. We were made to do this in relationship with God. In Genesis 2, um, it reminds us that, that God breathed into us and that he placed uh, Adam and Eve in this beautiful paradise called the Garden of Eden. It reminds us that God uh, made us for real relationship, right? He made Adam and Eve. He, it reminds us that they were completely naked, meaning that they, there was no sense of false pretense. There was no sense of hiding or shame. And it reminds us above all that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? There was that type of close relationship with God in the garden. With that in mind, eternity is in our hearts. So somehow, we have this deep recollection that we were made for Eden and we got Evans. Amen? That's how that happened. We were made for something so much better and this is what we got. So, guys, what I hope you understand in this is because... Um, the point of dreams is they're rooted in almost the instinctual desire to reclaim paradise, to reclaim the echo of Eden, to reclaim Eden itself. So what I hope you recognize is that dreams come with more than just a desire to be a lawyer or a doctor. Dreams come with a vision of life. And that vision of life generally follows this equation. If I get X... Life will look like Y, right? If I just marry the right spouse, life will finally feel complete. If I just get the right degree, I will make enough money and be able to have a sustainable life. I'll be able to get that family that I've longed for, and we'll go on family vacations and make Christmas memories. Uh, dreams come with more than just the dream of accomplishing one particular thing. They come with a vision that unfolds after we accomplish that thing, right? Okay, so it comes with a vision of life. It's our way back into Eden. It's also our way, not just back into Eden, but it's our way out of exile. When Adam and Eve uh, sinned, what happened to them? Anybody? What happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned? They were banished, right? They were exiled out of the garden, okay? So dreams promise us a way out of exile. Why do we want our way out of exile? Because exile is frustrating, right? Life doesn't work the way we had hoped in exile. In exile, instead of having the peace of being God's beloved, we feel the anxiety of having to do life on our own. So firstly, notice why we dream. We often dream because we instinctively want to find our way out of Evans and back into Eden. That's what we're hungry for. We want to reclaim a paradise lost. But now that we've looked at why we dream, let's talk, talk about how they tend to form. To do this, I'm going to tell you a little bit of my own story. Um, because my life has been filled with dreams, and at times having to watch those dreams just go up in smoke. 
My experience of exile came pretty early in life. Um, when I was young, a young boy, I really struggled with reading, really struggled with reading. And it came at a really high price. Um, I remember one time I was in Sunday school, and the teacher asked me to read, you know, and I opened my Bible, and, and I just said, ma'am, I, I can't read. And this little girl stood up, and she started laughing at me while she pointed to me, and she said, he can't read, he can't read. When you're a little kid, that's traumatizing. A little while later, my parents left me with a relative who shall remain nameless for this conversation. Um, they, they, they left me with this relative while they went on a vacation. While I was there, this relative decided that she should help me with my schoolwork. How many of you know that sometimes getting help from the wrong person is just not helpful? Amen. So we sat on the sofa, and she pulled out my school books. And when I told her that I could not read, she shot up from the sofa. She looked at me and said, if you can't read, how can you do anything in life? And then she bolted for the door. Again, fairly traumatizing. It's really good to be loved by those who love you. Um, then after receiving that news, um, uh, just before my third grade year, the experts tested and diagnosed me as being dyslexic and dysgraphic. Dysgraphia is a deficiency in writing. So I couldn't read or write. Other than that, I had it going on. And um, they told my parents that if, you know, I'd probably never go to college. If I ever went to college, I would need tons of help. Um, and they promptly placed me in special education. After receiving this news, my, frankly, my world was shattered. In my family, there's a a lot of education. There's a lot of doctorates in my family, and somehow I came to recognize from an early, early age that that was just not going to be an option for me. I'd been given the bad cards in the family, but here is where the dream began. The only thing I knew I was any good at as a little kid was music. I'd started taking piano lessons very young, and I, I recognized that I had a really good ear, and I had natural dexterity for music. So the God's honest truth, when I found out what the experts had said, and let me say this, by the way, there's the difference between a diagnosis and a prognosis. The diagnosis was right. I was dyslexic. The prognosis of never going to college and kind of having to make life work, that was, that was a lie. And that's a, that's a heavy price to put on a nine-year-old. Um, so when I got this truth, what did I do? I went to my bedroom, sat on my bed, and just cried my eyes out. And in that despair, this thought came to my mind. I'm somehow the village idiot. My only chance to make it in life is through music. So I'm simply going to outwork every person around me. Uh, and I, hopefully one day, eventually, I'll be able to teach piano lessons and maybe play music professionally. That was, that was my vision, right? It was a dream. Music was my way out of exile and into a life that I thought was worth living, right? It took several years, but thankfully, through my parents' and uh, my father's mother's help, God gave me grace to overcome my learning disabilities. I wound up doing really well in school. But two things never left me the dream to make it in music, and the commitment to outwork every person around me. Those things never left me. And still to this day, I would say I struggle with workaholism. 
I struggle by thinking that I can outwork everyone around me and somehow make it out of exile and into the life that I long to live. Friends, eternity is set in the human heart, and somehow that ancient story of exile and trying to return home seems to repeat itself in each of our lives in some shape or form or fashion. So if you think about your own story, you probably have moments when you came to realize that the world's not actually safe, right? That you weren't safe, that you're, you've got to figure out how to make this thing work on your own. And maybe you, like me, you made decisions based on your own gifts and your own abilities about how to make life work, about how to get out of that exile. So now that you, you kind of think about, okay, that's how dreams tend to form. Let's talk about why they need course correction. Why do dreams need course correction? They need course correction because they're often get anchored in our gifts rather than God's will. Dreams are often anchored in our own gifts rather than God's will. They, they need course correction um, because notice what it says in, in Ecclesiastes 3. It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. It doesn't say human beings make everything beautiful on our own time, right? Oftentimes what happens is we take God-given gifts and then we create man-centered paths. Think about that for a minute. We take God-given gifts and then we create man-centered paths. Why? Because we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And when we can't fathom what God is doing, our default tends to be distrust. Amen? Think about it like this. God promised Abraham a son. The problem was, he, prom he promised the son uh, to Abraham at 75, Ten years go by, and guess what Abraham still doesn't have? A son, right? So Abraham looks at his own abilities, his own um, resources, and what does he do? He marries a servant. What's the problem with marrying a servant to have a son? It doesn't produce the son that God had in mind. It, pr it didn't produce Isaac, the son of the promise. It produced Ishmael. Okay, so guys, notice what Abraham was doing. He was reasoning that according to his own gifts, he could make God's dreams, and frankly his dreams, happen on his own timeline. Guys, God doesn't need our help. God needs our trust, right? He doesn't need our help to make things work. He just needs, he just needs us to trust him. And here is what often happens when we anchor our dreams and our gifts rather than anchoring our gifts in God's dreams. Flip over a couple of pages to Ecclesiastes 6. We're going to look at verse 1. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and may live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity... 
and does not receive a proper burial, I say stillborn child is better off than he. First of all, I want to say if a man has a hundred children, it's probably too many. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> so guys, you may have noticed a pattern in life, right? You want something really, really bad. You finally get that something, and it's great for a while, right? You want that job really, really bad. You finally get that job, and it's really fulfilling for a while. You want that new car. You finally get that new car, and it's really fulfilling for a while. But eventually, things lose their luster. Eventually, the excitement dies away, and you're left looking for what? The next thing right? As we talked about last week, what makes life meaningful is the joy in the life of God in the thing, not the thing itself, right? Which, is, which can be so difficult. It's, it's like learning to notice the life of God and, and finding your hope and your joy in that. Guys, often even our noble dreams need course correction because they can be three degrees off, Steve Cutcliffe once taught me this. He, he told me about the principle of being three degrees off. And he said, if you're on a path, you're on the right path, but you're three degrees off, he said, in the beginning, it looks like you're just dead on the right path. But you follow that four or five miles down the road, and now suddenly you're in completely the wrong destination, Right? So our dreams need course correction because they're often anchored in our gifts rather than God's will. And if we're only three degrees off in our desire, eventually we can find ourselves, hear me on this, we can find ourselves building a paradise where God is not needed. Let me point this out. The ultimate danger of our dreams is that we can root our dreams and our gifts and we can find ourselves using our gifts to build our own gardens of Eden, right? Personal, man-made gardens of Eden that have all the trappings of God's blessing and yet lack his life. Their personal, man-made gardens of Eden can have all the trappings of blessing, yet they can lack the life of God. And friends, you may ask, well, ultimately, Chris, what's the problem with a personal man-made Garden of Eden that has all the trappings of blessing but lacks the life of God? Here's the problem. Frankly, it can pad the road to hell. It can make us comfortably numb to the selfish and self-centered ways that we've chosen to live our lives. Do y'all know who John Christ is? A Christian comedian. He, um, a couple of years ago, it came out that he was living a double life and had made terrible decisions. I watched a, a YouTube video by him. He has, you know, kind of come back. He, he, to his credit, he was very open about, yeah, I'm a broken, jacked up mess who needs the grace of God. And he put himself through rehab and all that stuff. And I was watching this video yesterday, and he said, you know, he said, I would not w wish on my worst enemy what I went through. It was so hard and it was so painful. He said, but the only thing worse that could have happened to me than what did happen to me is if it had not happened to me. 
as if I had not been awakened to what I was doing with my life, right? Guys, uh, let's be honest, however. In this room, there are many of us who have, have to deal with the painful truth that we've been putting our lives out there for God's dreams, right? He's called us to things that we believe are His dreams, not simply ours. We've rooted our gifts in God's dreams instead of rooting uh, our dreams in our own gifts because we, we believe that God will make everything beautiful in His time, and yet even those dreams have seemingly gone up in smoke. So the question is, what do we do with that? And that's a different equation. Friends, when those things happen, when you put yourself out there for God, and those still, those dreams go up in smoke, you're understandably left with questions like, God, I did this because I thought this was your will. Why didn't you protect over it? I, 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 I stepped out of my comfort zone because I believed you were calling me to do that. And, and is this what I'm left with? Is this what I get? Friends, if you followed God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength into things that you believe that he has called you to, when they don't go your way, sometimes why God is just an honest question, right? Sometimes it's just an honest question before the Lord. You see, at least for me, I want an equation that goes something like this. If I obey God and seek to do His will, everything will work out. How many people want that equation in life, right? And, and I think when we first come to Christ, we think, well, that, that's how it works, right? I've been disobedient, no wonder my life's jacked up. But now I'm going to obey God, seek to do His will, and just every, everything's going to work out, right? That's, that's the equation we want, but it's when tragedy comes while you're trying to serve the Lord that any notion that life can be controlled by my good behavior gets wrecked, right? Last week I, I told you guys that God had about how God called me out of gigs, but I didn't tell you what God called me to after that. In February of 2011, it was about six months after I'd given up gigs, some guys prayed for me, and they prayed that I would receive the gift of songwriting. Over the next two months, I wrote about 80% of an album. And over the next several years, let me stress years, uh, I worked on producing that album. And when I say I worked, I worked really, really, really hard. If you were living in Augusta in February of 2014, you no doubt remember the ice storm. Does anybody remember the ice storm? Yes. Okay. You know that you're having severe weather when Jim Cantori, the, the weather guy, the extreme weather guy who's holding on to a pole while the wind's blowing, and he's like, well, there's gust of wind. You know, when that guy shows up, you've got extreme weather, right? And so when he came to Augusta, we recognized that this was uniquely bad. Many of, lost, many of us lost power for days. Uh, there was ice on trees everywhere. Uh, you would wake up in the middle of the night. I don't know if y'all remember this, but you'd wake up, and it sounded like somebody was shooting a gun because there was some limb that was breaking off of some big tree. And then to end the week, just to kind of cap it all off, we had an earthquake. Like, this is Augusta, Georgia. We don't have earthquakes here. So, guys, um, in the midst of 
having no power and um, the weather being so bad, so cold, uh, I got sick. I had uh, lots of head congestion, chest congestion, and it probably took me a month to get back to normal. But when I got back to normal, I discovered it wasn't actually normal. I went from having a two-octave singing range to barely over an octave. I was hopeful with time and practice that I would kind of regain what I had lost, but over the next several months, it just seemed to elude me. And so in 2015, I went and saw an ENT, and he did an endoscopy where they send a camera down your throat. And he said, Mr. Goss, I have good news and bad news. The good news is it's not cancer. You're not going to die. I said, well, that is good news. He said, the bad news is I could do some injections, um, that might help some, but to really get you back to where you were, I would need to do surgery. And I don't really want to do surgery because there's a 50-50 chance I could make you better or I could just wreck your vocal cords. Now let me be clear. I don't think for one second that was somehow God's plan or God's will. I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think things do happen for a reason. I think we live in a fallen world where junk happens. But truthfully, it began to tear my world apart. When I found out that my vocal cords were damaged, talk about feeling like you'd lost your dream. Like I, it threw me into an existential crisis. And to make matters worse, I wasn't trying to make some paradise for myself. I was trying to obey God, right? Um, even if God didn't cause it, I was still left with the question of, God, how could you let this happen to me and to it, to, to the dream that you'd given me? If I'm honest, you know, 2015 was my first year here. It was really difficult coming up here week after week, trying to sing about the goodness of God with shot vocal cords. Um, singing about how God is for us and not against us while I'm kind of looking at this album that I've finished but I can't I can't like play it live I just use my own life as an example but the real question is what do we do when things we feel like God has called us to go up in smoke what do you do when you've traded your dreams for God's dreams and yet even God's dreams don't seem to pan out that's the question the ultimate path, however, friends, uh, the thing I've learned in all this, the ultimate path back to the Garden of Eden goes through another garden. It goes through the Garden of Gethsemane. In, um, just before his death, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he took Peter, James, and John with him and he, he told them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. And then he began to pray, and he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not my will be done, but thine be done. You see, friends, when you trade your dreams for God's dreams, it doesn't shield you from the fallenness of this world, Right? Jesus wasn't somehow shielded from religious leaders who called him names and accused him of crimes for which he was innocent. Jesus wasn't shielded um, from Roman soldiers who placed uh, a crown of thorns on his head and uh, beat him mercilessly. Jesus, hear me on this friends, Jesus did not obey God to avoid suffering. 
Jesus' obedience to God actually brought him to suffering. And so why did Jesus obey God? Not for the life God could give him. He obeyed him because he loves God, right? And this is where it gets real for us, friends. When, when you prefer God's will, God's dreams over your own, even when you know it will not shield you from suffering, and yet you still say, thy will be done, now you're tapping into what C.S. Lewis referred to as deep magic, the magic of the cross, right? The writer of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Preferring God's dreams over our own and taking up whatever cross comes with it is only possible when we believe that God is doing stuff beyond what we can see, when we trust God. The cross calls us to trust that God's plans are far greater than we can see and know. The cross calls us to believe that even in this crazy, arbitrary world where, frankly, things don't even go the way God wants them to often. Okay? Be clear on that. Things happen that grieve God's heart. The, call, the cross, even in the face of that, calls us to believe that when we place our trust in God, God gets the final word. He may not get the intermediate word. Junk may happen, but he gets the final word. And toward the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus told his disciples on three different occasions that he would die and suffer and, and, suffer and die and then rise on the third day. Following God's dreams over our own dreams, don't, it doesn't protect us from the craziness of life, but it does bring the life of God and the resurrection power of God. That's what you're entrusting your life to. In full confession, I don't really know what God's going to do with my music. I just believe the story's not over. What is more, through that existential crisis, God invited me into a liminal space, a space where I could begin to consider that maybe his dreams for me were bigger than what I was perceiving. After a lot of prayer and discernment, I started going to seminary. And praise the Lord, <laughs> seminary will be over in May. I, I have enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it, and I look forward to saying I did enjoy it. Um, guys, let me say this. The resurrection boldly proclaims that even when we go through the despair of lost dreams, we do not have to walk through that despair without hope. Right? Hope in a God who's been resurrecting things for thousands of years. And a hope that whatever God resurrects will actually have greater power than it had before. Right? If you want something to be eternal, let it experience resurrection power. But when your heart is grieving, when you're disappointed with life, and frankly disappointed with God, how do you stand in the Garden of Gethsemane? How do you stand in the place of still choosing God's will over your own when your soul is troubled by the death of a dream? I want to end today with some practical wisdom about that. 
In the face of suffering and loss, believe what you actually believe as a follower of Jesus. I want to say that again. In the face of suffering and loss, believe what you actually believe as a follower of Jesus. And friends, this is an important point because in the face of suffering, it can be so easy to default to our feelings, right? It can be so easy to to make our theology based around what we feel to be true rather than what is actually true. So believe what you believe. Firstly, I want to call you to dwell on the belief that this life is far from all there is. Amen? C.S. Lewis says, he calls this just the cover page, right? The speaker of Hebrews, in, in, um, or speaking of Abraham and the Old Testament saints, the writer of Hebrews says that all these people died in faith without having received the things they were promised. However, they saw them and welcomed them from afar. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Now, those who say such things show that they are seeking a country of their own. Does that sound familiar? They're trying to make their way back into Eden, but they recognize that they've been exiled to a country that may not be fully realized here. Promises that won't be fully realized here, like promises that will go on. So, friends, the painful truth is that in some dreams, they're just not going to see resurrection here. And we have to grieve those so that we can move forward. But we don't grieve as people without hope. Believe what you actually believe. Believe that the best is yet to come. That anything lost here will ultimately be resurrected in the coming kingdom, right? Secondly, believe what you actually believe by dwelling on the truth that God has far bigger plans than you can see. As Carolyn says, that God's doing 10,000 things and you're aware of three of them, right? Believe that God is not finished with our stories and that he will bring good even out of the darkest of hours. And therefore, we have confidence that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Thirdly, believe what you believe that we are part of a church rather than the central player of life. This is a big one. Believe that you're part of a church rather than the central player of life. Although I'm not a big fan of this book, one of the things that Rick Warren got right in his kind of epic work, The Purpose Driven Life, is he said, it's not about you, right? One of the things that has really helped me make it past the loss of my vocal cords is to recognize that I'm part of a team. I'm part of a church. I'm a fellow soldier, and I work with a people for a purpose much greater than myself, right? Consequently, the purpose of my life didn't die when my vocal cords died, right? My purpose is much bigger than that because it's a part of partnering with God and with his people to see the kingdom of God advance on the earth. So ultimately, our purpose cannot be robbed from us simply by Satan or the craziness of life. Fourthly, believe what you actually believe about Jesus on the cross. This is kind of my final thing. Dr. Frank Lake writes, The sufferer 
needs to be reconciled to God by some clear evidence that God shares his suffering and understands by identification what it's like. That God shares in his suffering and understands by identification what it's like. Friends, when you meditate on the cross of Christ, you should become aware that God is not cold. He's not distant. He's not unfeeling, right? He has subjected himself to that type of suffering. He truly understands our pain. He is a God who doesn't just know about our pain as some objective bystander. No, he's one who enters into our pain and suffering. As he, as he hung on the cross with the thieves, he hangs in there with us in the darkest nights of our soul. And so as we dwell on what we believe, you, what, what happens is when you dwell on Christ crucified, your heart gets strangely warmed. You recognize that there's another in the fire, right? That there's someone there with you. In 2016, y'all can stand, we're about to pray. Um, in 2016, just before, um, it was about a year after getting a diagnosis on my vocal cords. And, and in 2015, 2016, I actually lost three people to very unexpected deaths. So it was just two years that were just miserable. And I was again on my bed praying to God and again just in tears. And I, I told him, I said, Lord, this just hurts. It is just so painful. It's so painful. And in prayer, I saw the Lord. And he, he just, he looked at me and he said, I know, I know. But his, his face was just filled with compassion. And, and what I came to recognize was Jesus didn't know about my pain. He knew my pain. He was on the inside. He was with me. And, and friends, that's a God that we can entrust our lives to. That's a, that's a God we can entrust our broken dreams to. Um, let's pray. Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. So friends, I, I just want you to think about what is, what is the broken dream in your own life? What is the place that you need to grieve and you need to let it heal? Hmm. And just in faith, begin to offer that to Jesus. going to offer that to Jesus. Yes, Lord. Hmm. Jesus, we entrust into your hands dreams that are lost. We entrust into your hands loved ones that are lost. 
in Jesus with the saints, we welcome your fulfillment from afar. We believe that you make all things beautiful in your time. Yes, Lord. And Lord, I just pray over these hearts, Lord, that you would just minister to them. Minister to us and show us, God, that you are a God who is with us in the fire. And that there is no loss that you don't walk through with us. And that, Lord, we would also be a people who grieve with hope believing in the resurrection power of Jesus. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.